Good morning. So yesterday, uh, my family and I spent the day down at the waterfront at the National Jug Band Jubilee. Now, maybe you've never heard of this before, but you should totally check it out. A whole, whole day of watching jug bands play. It's, it's incredible. It's so much fun. Uh, we, we do it like every year. We go every year that we're able. It's like family tradition now. Uh, it's something that we love and we try to get other people to go along with us. Uh, it's a great time. Now, if you don't know what uh, a jug band is, this is music that really got started like uh, rising up in like the 20s and the 30s. Uh, and uh, it was when like the music, uh, like the roots music was being handed down through like street musicians. And they basically... Uh, you know, in that era when there wasn't a lot uh, available, uh, they're basically scratching out tunes with whatever they could come up with. And so if they didn't have the money for a guitar uh, or a banjo or a tuba, then they made something out of a cigar box or like a gourd or a pie plate or an old whiskey jug. And so, uh, so you have these bands uh, playing, and, and so they have this festival every year, and we go, and we've seen some of the same stuff. They're carrying on these traditions. So we've seen the, the jugs and the washboards, guy playing a saw, kazoos and spoons. Uh, as a matter of fact, yesterday, uh, believe it or not, one guy at one point played a rubber chicken. That was a little bit new. Uh, but it's, it's incredibly uh, like, uh, resourceful and ingenuitive, if that's a word. Uh, the ingenuity, it's, it's just fantastic. It's really a lot of fun. And one of the funnest parts about it, actually, is that Louisville is the home to jug band music. I don't know if you guys knew that. Louisville's the home to jug band music. This is where it got started. Uh, this is where it was first recorded, and that's how it really began uh, to gain popularity. And that's because uh, the music, was the, you know, the, the uh, inspiration for the music was coming up. You know, you had like the Delta Blues. You had like the Dixieland Jazz coming up the river from New Orleans, and you got these musicians in Louisville uh, trying to figure out, hey, we're going to play these tunes. What are we going to play it on? What did we have plenty of laying around? That's right, empty whiskey jugs, you know? And so there's plenty of that. And so jug band uh, music was born. And I got to thinking about just this, uh, this resilient form of music, how it was uh, formed and, and how fun it was and how this uh, really a, a style that was born in the footprint of the Great Depression, uh, born out of necessity, uh, and actually went on to gain quite a bit of popularity and, and then went on to influence you know, didn't just, uh, didn't just, you know, provide for that day, but it went on to influence decades of, of blues and jazz and even rock and roll uh, for years and years to come. And I just thought how remarkable that was, and I thought it was kind of a really fun picture of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're, we're continuing our series, as Matt mentioned, called The Bounce Back. And we're talking about what we can learn about resilience, how we can be a people who who get up when we're knocked down, who overcome challenges and obstacles and setbacks. And over the last couple of weeks, we've heard uh, from Jamel and we've heard from Matt uh, about enduring, about being willing to change. And today we're going to talk about resourcefulness, how we can make the most of our resources, just like those jug bands, uh, making the most of our resources. Now, I could, I could talk all morning about jug bands, 
because um, I kind of geek out over it. You can ask my wife, and she'll tell it to you. But uh, don't let her get started, because she bought me a book on jug bands for my birthday, so she's half responsible for this uh, to begin with. But I'm not going to preach from that book. I'm going to preach from this book, because I think we'll probably, probably get more from this. So we're going to look at Mark uh, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. And this is a story that, uh, that most of you probably have some familiarity with. This is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And I want to look at some of the really great uh, practical lessons about resourcefulness that we can learn from this passage. But I also want to recognize that this is the account of a miracle. And while we could learn uh, all kinds of practical lessons all day, be it from jug bands or from some like top 10 book we pick up off of Amazon, when we consider resourcefulness as Christians, as believers, we are at kind of an intersection of the practical and the divine. So when we as Christians look at resourcefulness, we see it in light of, of that God factor, right? So let's read this passage. I'm going to go ahead and read so you can pull out your Bibles uh, you can catch it on the screen up here or on your device. And I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them, uh, among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So we're going to take a look at this passage. And I just, as I was reading through it and I was thinking about resourcefulness, I was just... Just lesson after lesson. And so this, this sermon has kind of taken shape, kind of like a list of bullet points. And so if you're like a note taker and you like that kind of nice note structure, you're going to love it. Because, I mean, we're just going to crank through one thing after another. And I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm just going to get started. So first, resourceful people take responsibility. The disciples were focused on the problem. So there was this hungry crowd and they're thinking, uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with these people? They're hungry too. It said the whole reason they had gone there was because they'd been so busy, they hadn't had a chance to eat. Then the people follow them, and they're thinking, how do we get rid of these folks? 
They just want to dismiss the crowd uh, rather than try to solve the problem. They're trying to get them out of there so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. You take responsibility. How can you solve this problem? They hadn't even thought about that. They were not even considering how they might be a solution to the problem. And the first thing I noticed is that if we're trying to be resourceful, there's not a good chance that's going to happen if we're not even seeking a solution. If we're not, if we don't even have the motivation uh, to, to find uh, a solution to the problem, then we're probably not going to drum up a whole lot of resourcefulness. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show Lost, uh, where plane crashes on this mysterious island, and there's these survivors trying to figure things out. Well, recently my wife and I started re-watching on Netflix from the very beginning uh, all of Lost, and it was really interesting to go back and to watch some of those early episodes and to see kind of how things were playing out. And really in those first few episodes, what you see is all these survivors basically sitting on the beach because they're expecting right after they crash that somebody's going to come and rescue them. So they're really not doing anything. They're sitting around and they're waiting for something to happen until several episodes in, there's kind of this moment uh, where the, like the hero kind of guy, uh, he, he kind of makes this speech where he says, look guys, we've been here for like a week just waiting. But it's time to do something. It's time to start figuring things out. We've got to get organized. And then there's like this epic line, we're either going to learn to live together or we're going to die alone. Right? And then, then people, they, they like get up and they start doing stuff. And then as it plays out from there, they're, they're making like shelters and tools out of the wreckage from the plane. They're hunting wild boar in the jungle and they're finding fish and fresh water and they're planting gardens and they're figuring out how to live and how to survive. But none of that happened until enough days had passed that they, they began to realize, hey, you know what? Nobody's coming. And they began to take responsibility for their own survival. And then all of a sudden, resourcefulness just started pouring out. They started coming up with all kinds uh, of ideas and managing to survive. Motivation uh, can be uh, something very powerful. I think of the book of Esther, the story of Esther in the Old Testament, and uh, which you have this guy Mordecai, and he, he catches wind of this plot to eradicate all of the Jewish people. He's a Jew, and he hears that, that they're going to just wipe out the Jews, basically. And at first, it describes Mordecai in this state of just weeping and mourning and wailing before God. He's doing the whole sackcloth and ashes thing, and he's just completely distraught. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on then, Mordecai, after that, that time of grieving, he, he steps up and he decides it's time to take action, time to do something. And he says, look, my cousin, my cousin Esther, like she's the queen. Like she's right there in the court uh, of the king. Maybe for such a time as this, we could do something about this problem. And he talks to Esther and they make a plan and then she decides to take responsibility and take action and through her resourcefulness uh, the, the king's heart is turned and long story short the day is saved and the people are spared. Resourcefulness comes when we take responsibility and we seek out a solution. So that's number one. Number two Resourceful people work with what they have. 
See, the disciples, immediately after Jesus said, will you feed them, they, they just start kind of fussing about, well, that would take so much money, really? How could we have all this money to buy all this bread? Should we really do that? And Jesus, again, simple phrase, well, what do you have? Think about it, guys. How many loaves do you have? Go and see, he tells them. So maybe the best first step is not to try to get what we think we need, but to consider what resources we already have. I think of this kind of as the MacGyver approach. I'm a child of the 80s. Back before Jack Bauer, back before we had our Marvel heroes on the big screen, we had a different kind of hero. That hero was MacGyver. And MacGyver's superpower was resourcefulness. That was his trademark. So he was like this secret agent dude, and he was going on these missions and and running from the bad guys, and he'd always get into all manner of situations. You know, he's trapped, he's stuck, he's got to do this, he's got to do that. And he would think of a way out. He'd figure out some contraption just with whatever was lying around, just random stuff. So he needs to get away. He doesn't have an airplane. Instead of just sitting down, throwing up his hands and thinking, well, I wish I had this, or what a big problem this is, no way to overcome it, he'd look around and go, well, there's a roll of duct tape. There's a few paper clips. How about I build an airplane and we'll get out of here? And he would do it. <laughs> MacGyver was like the king of resourcefulness and the king of being aware of what you have and using the things that you've got. But you see, dwelling on what we don't have, kind of like the disciples just getting caught up in, oh, what a problem. Oh, we can't do this. Oh, we can't do that. That can be really overwhelming. It can be really defeating, and it can just kind of get us stuck with no momentum at all. But if we consider what we do have, then that can be the first step in moving forward. And I think this is really important for us, for one church, to think about what we have. Because right now we're in this place of, we've got this vision uh, of moving down to 12-12 and being there at 4th and Oak. Right? And we've, we've got this vision, we've got this plan, we've got this calling, and it's real, and this desire to be there. But if we get stuck in this idea of thinking, well, when we get there, when we have that, then we can do this or this or this. If we get stuck there, we're just going to spin our wheels. We're, we're just not going to have any momentum. And in reality, if that's the mindset we get stuck in, we may never get there. But if we stop and we consider where we are and what we already have, then I think God is ready to do something incredible. And in his time, when the time is right, he'll take us there to the next step. But we've got to consider what we already have. In Luke chapter 16, uh, Jesus talks about being faithful with the little things. And it's right after he's just told this parable about this shrewd manager who basically was about to lose it all, and he used what he had. All he had left was basically some business relationships, and he thought, okay, that's what I've got. And he starts kind of wheeling and dealing and leveraging those things to that when it all fall, the bottom falls out, he's got something to fall back on. And he actually ends up being praised in this parable for his resourcefulness. And following this, Jesus uh, talks about be faithful with the little things and then you'll be trusted with greater things. So it's not about worrying over uh, or waiting for all the things that we don't have, but rather being aware of and being faithful with what we do have. And I think the disciples begin to catch on. They begin to pick up 
uh, on, on what Jesus is putting down, okay? Because they go and they gather the bread, but when they come to the Jesus, they've also gathered a couple fish as well. He didn't ask them how much fish they had. He just said bread, and yet they're, they're going around, they're going, oh, well, we got, we got these two. It's not much, but it's something. And so it's what we've got, and they take it to Jesus, five loaves and two fish. I think part of working with what we have also means not being ashamed to use what we have. Now, if you look into the text and some of the words used describing this story throughout the other Gospels and kind of the history of the time, uh, there's reason to believe that this bread and fish maybe would be more like what we consider like crackers and sardines. It's really not much. And, and another telling of the same story talks about how they basically found this in a little boy's lunchbox. So what you got, you've got some crackers and sardines. It's a little boy's lunch. It's, it's nothing. It's very, very little. And yet they bring it before Jesus, maybe a little sheepishly, uh, maybe a little bit embarrassed. But nonetheless, faithfully, they say, okay, Jesus asked us to see what we got. Here's what we got. Got some crackers and sardines. Now, we might be ashamed of what little we have. We might look at our resources and think, ah, it's just not enough, or I'm almost embarrassed of how little it is. And yet, we've got to overcome that pride, that shame. We've got to set that aside and realize uh, that what we have is important. Jesus talks about uh, this, this widow in the temple. There's a story when they're in the temple, and all the rich guys... They're bringing in bags of money, dumping in the offering. And then there's this widow, and she drops in two small coins. Nothing. It's nothing. And yet Jesus says she's the one who gave the most. She's the one who gave the most. So whether, whether it's your offering that you feel like is, is just too small, or maybe it's the skills that you have to bring to the table that you think are just insignificant, you think they don't matter. You think they're not important. The resources you have, what God has given you, big or small, those things are important. Resourcefulness recognizes the value of what we have. All right, number three. Resourceful people look to the community. When Jesus told them to go and find how many loaves they had, they didn't just look at each other. The disciples look around and go, you got anything, you got anything? No, we don't have anything. No, they, they went out into the crowd. They went around. They, they, they gathered what was there from among this large group. The community is a resource. Our community is a resource. So if we think about that second point of, of working with what we have, of being aware of what we have, think of that now communally. Don't think of what I have. I think about what we have. Resourceful people look to the community. It's not just my skills. It's not just my possessions. It's not just my bank account. It's, it's all of ours. It's all we have together that we can bring together as one to leverage for God's purpose, for his plan. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the body of Christ, and it talks about all the different parts. It talks about the hands and the feet and the ear and the nose and all these different things that do uh, do, do different functions, have different skills and abilities, and they all come together to form the one body. And our task is bigger than just me. Our task is bigger than just you. 
It's bigger than any one of us. And your part matters. And my part matters. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, the, like Voltron or the Power Rangers or Captain Planet. Again, I said I'm a child of the 80s, all right? Like, these are the things I grew up on. And so this is, these are the images in my mind. But they're all the same. These, those three shows are essentially the same thing. You've got these teams, and they all have different powers or, like, powerful robots that they drive. And they all, every episode, essentially, they all kind of try to fight the bad guy, you know, individually. And then at some point, they all have to form together as one. And so they form, they become the Voltron, or they become the Megazord, or with our powers combined, Captain Planet shows up, right, and, and, and saves the day. They got this idea from the Bible, all right? And I think of it, you know, if we go with the, the Captain Planet thing, I think of us and I think with our powers combined, God has something great to do. God has big plans that he can do, but it, it's, it involves us coming together. And I want, I want you guys to, man, go around and talk to one another. If you think, well, what do we really have? Start talking to people in this church. Talk to somebody you haven't met yet. Ask about their passions and their experiences and their perspective, their jobs, their backgrounds, what they're into. You're going to be blown away at the resource of people that God has given this community. I'm not just talking in general. I'm talking about one church. The resource of people that we have in this community is really amazing. And so I want you to think right now, and maybe even like close your eyes if that helps you, but imagine you're like opening your pantry, and you're looking in, and you're looking at the shelves, and all the things on the shelves are your resources, you know, your skills, your time, your funds. These are your resources. And, and some people, you might look at your shelves, and you might think, oh, there's not a whole lot there. And other people might look at their shelves and think, wow, I've got quite a bit. Now I want you to uh, kind of look to your left and look to your right. Like, really do it right now. Look at each other. Look at each other. All these people are looking at their pantries, too. And they've got things on the shelf. Now imagine we just, in this room, just lined the walls with shelves. And we said, all right, everybody's gather everything from your pantries bring it in here. We're going to stack it to the ceilings. It's going to be scattered all over the floor. We're going to fill this place up. And now I want you to look around again. Now, if you were looking in your pantry of resources and you felt like things uh, were a little bit scarce, now I want you to look again. No more scarcity. Now, if you looked in your pantry and you thought, oh, I've, got a, I've got an abundance, an overabundance, and I'm not even quite sure what to do with that. Well, I think maybe that's a little more clear now, wouldn't you think? Yeah. I love our I have and our, our need boards. Now, honestly, I don't know if we've been as diligent with them lately as we could be, but I love what this represents and, and the attitude and the approach that we've always had. And I hope that we continue this posture as we go forward and we continue to take stock of our resources as a community and strengthen one another and our ability to accomplish God's task through that kind of resourcefulness. All right, number four. Resourceful people ask for what they need. 
And the disciples, I feel like they've just been learning, little by little, you know, every time Jesus says to them, like he teaches them with a sentence. Like, God, oh, did you think about this? Oh, did you think about this? And they're learning little by little all along the way. And now I think this lesson I see displayed, not specifically in something that they, they do or that they, that they literally say, but kind of in their posture as they approach Jesus. They, they come to him with the bread and the fish, this, this insignificant little amount, uh, in order to feed 5,000 people. They bring what's obviously not enough. And I just kind of feel like they're saying, all right, well, Jesus, we did what you said. We found what we could. This is what we've got. Clearly, it's not enough. But it's what we have. Now it's up to you. Now we need you to do the rest. And at the same, in the same way that we should not be ashamed to use what we have, as I said, we should also not be ashamed to ask for what we need. You guys know the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament? Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And he, had, uh, he was a servant, but he had a calling he had, he had a desire and a passion to go and restore the city of Israel, which at that time was like laying in ruins. But what could he do? He didn't have anything. Like I said, he was a servant. What could he do? He had nothing, but his boss had quite a bit. His boss was a king. So what did he do? He asked. He knew he had to do this thing, and he knew what he had wasn't enough, so he asked, he, he goes to the king and he says, he asked to go. That in and of itself was kind of a bold request. I need to go. I know I like, I'm your servant, but I need to go. I need to go and do this thing. And he didn't stop there. He then also asked, and could you provide me some, some papers, basically, so these other rulers of these different regions, as I make my way, that they won't heckle me. And he doesn't stop there. And he says, and could you also maybe arrange for some resources that we could use for this reconstruction, just maybe? So some bold requests of a servant to his master. And the king says, yes. And not only that, the king says, you know what? I'm also going to send along with you uh, an army uh, like escort just to make sure things go well. It's a pretty straightforward lesson. If you need something, ask for it. Maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. But you never know until you ask. I think about this room where we're sitting right now. I think it was like, what, six or seven years ago? The avenue needed a place to meet on the campus. And Cardinal Town was just being built at the time. And some meetings happened. Some discussions were had. A bold request was made. And what seemed miraculous, uh, we got this space. And the rest is history. Here we are. I mean, for years now, the Avenue and then one church, we have been blessed by this location. Just ask. If we don't have what we need, ask for it. God can make it available. God can make it happen. And we need to remember, too, that like Nehemiah, we are servants to a king. 
Our king happens to be like the king of everything, like the king. He's got it all. When Jesus told, uh, when he, he told his disciples that the fields were ripe with harvest, he didn't just say, now get out there and do something about it. He said, so ask the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers. He said to knock and the door would be open. So if there's something we need, you know, like, do we need space? Well, Psalms says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do we need, like, burgers to hand out down at uh, 4th and Oak? Says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That was a joke. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we just need to pray. And I don't know if you've ever thought about prayer as part of resourcefulness, but it may be the best resource that we have. And when we serve the God of all creation, who owns everything, let's not hesitate to ask for what we need. And these, these, are the, these are kind of the big lessons that popped out to me in this passage for how we as humans and Christ followers live out our resourcefulness. These are the things that I think we can do to bounce back, to live with that resilience uh, as we walk with God and taking our responsibility, looking to the resources and the community that he has given us and asking for help when we need it. But I think there's also a few important lessons that we learn about Jesus and about God, who God is uh, through Jesus. And I want to take just a few more minutes to briefly, uh, briefly talk about these three notes uh, before a close. And the first one is that God often works through what we have. So the disciples have brought uh, these crackers and sardines, right? The little boy's lunch. And you might think that Jesus would take one look at that and think, uh, no, 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 I can do better. I can do better. Snaps his fingers and miraculously lays out this lavish buffet of all these extravagant foods. I mean, he is the creator of everything, right? He's already turned water into wine. Surely he could do something a bit more spectacular uh, with these crackers and sardines. It would not be beyond him but he feeds the people with what the disciples bring with the little boy's lunch because God is committed to working through his people that's what he's decided to do he could have just with one his divine hand or just send a bunch of angels to take care of everything that he wants done instead way back at the beginning of the old testament he calls Abraham he raises up for himself the people of Israel he establishes his church. God is committed to working through his people. And if he's that committed to working through his people, we may assume that he may choose to work through the resources and the things that he has already given us and already equipped us with. And don't miss verse 42 where it says that they all ate and were satisfied. What God provided through very little, was not only adequate, it was satisfying. God may just work through what we have. Let's not miss his miracles and his work when he's doing that because we expect something different. 
what we think is greater. Second thing is that God can multiply resources. This, this is the obvious and incredible miracle that takes place in this passage, right? The small provisions that were there feed over 5,000 men plus women and children, so thousands upon thousands of people. And the funny thing is that the Gospels, uh, none of them, explain exactly how this took place. Like, wouldn't it have been fantastic to be there? But all it tells us is that they took five loaves and two fish, and they began to pass them out, and all these thousands of people ate and were satisfied. That's all it tells us. God can multiply, even if we don't really know how or, or quite understand how. And I know sometimes we can get caught up in the great need, and we can feel overwhelmed by, by the vast uh, challenge ahead of us, and that sometimes our limit, our limit of resources seems out of proportion with that great need. But when the need is great, and when our resources seem small, don't underestimate God's power to multiply. Right? Okay, third. God can provide in abundance. It says that the crowds ate and were satisfied, and then 12 basketfuls of leftovers were gathered. Jesus didn't just meet the need, he exceeded it. He surpassed the need. They gathered leftovers after this miracle was done. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi 3 verse 10. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Luke 6, verse 38, speaks of God's blessing like this. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. Just think of that. Running over, God's blessing, exceeding the limits, pouring over into your lap. And I think it's easy to, to think about resourcefulness in the context of scarcity. That's when we think about resourcefulness, right? We think, okay, things are tight, so we got to get crafty. We got to be thrifty. We got to be resourceful to stretch the little into a lot. That's when we think about resourcefulness, not, not in a state of abundance. And yet, when working with the resources of Jesus, we got to remember that we are working with the God of abundance. So what will it look like for us to be resourceful? It's going to mean we open our eyes to what we have, to all that we can do, big or small. It's going to mean that we swallow our pride, we put ourselves out there, I put myself out there with whatever I've got to give. As a community, together, as a church, it means we show up, it means we give, it means we serve, we share, we help, we ask others and each other. As his church, 
It means that we push forward in faith, knowing that he has everything in his control and that that is the greatest resource of all. So now we're going to practice this a little bit and something that we do every week that I think is actually an incredible picture of this. It's kind of a way we act it out. We embody it when we come together at the communion table. We do this every week and we remember Christ's sacrifice. But we come together, we've got the bread and the juice right here in the back of the room. And we come together all all at the same time. And we're coming to this table with all that we are. And we're coming at it together, seeing one another, rubbing shoulders with one another. And we're coming to, to the table with all that we have as a community but we're also coming to this table full knowledge of everything that we lack and recognizing that God has provided all that was needed and all that was given. God has provided that ultimate thing that we could never provide. And so as we remember this picture and Christ's sacrifice through the bread and through the juice, uh, we remember the community that we are. Uh, we remember uh, this, dare we call it, a resource, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus and the ultimate provision and the one that we have to lean on always and that we have to lean on together. So right now, we're gonna come. We're gonna come to the communion table and we're going to remember Christ's sacrifice together. So come, crowd together, crowd together, group up, bump into each other, rub your shoulders together, huddle together around the table and take that resource 